Hello, I'm Mike Stranks and this is the CMS Audio Mission Prayer Focus for May 2013. A very warm welcome. This month we'll be rejoicing at what's been achieved through sewing clubs in Paraguay, reflecting with CMS community leader Philip Mount Stephen on his thoughts about a recent trip to Kenya and Uganda, and hearing how a short-term trip to East Africa has become an 18-year commitment for one CMS mission partner. So to Paraguay. Caroline Gilmore-White has recently returned to the UK after serving as a CMS mission partner there for many years. When she was looking back over her various roles and responsibilities with Jeremy Woodham, she explained how the introduction of a sewing club had completely transformed the work and witness of the little church in Mirador. It's a tiny little mission church, um, an hour and a bit away on a bus uh, from the city. It was one of two daughter churches belonging to a bigger church, and the bigger church itself did not have enough prayer or, or preaching power, so the other two churches suffered slightly, but Mirador more than, more than most of all. What happened when the sewing club arrived? Well, they sold shoulder bags, first of all, and of course every woman loves a handbag. And to have a handbag mostly made by you out of cloth that you have chosen in, in a day or a day and a half, it, it was a completely new thing for most of these extremely poor people. So a great um, short time with the sewing club, what, yeah. a few weeks even? or oh, even just one a week, or two, only, just a week. only Monday to Friday, yes, so to they, launch it. And then we then they leave town and, and, and what happens? The volunteers go back, they leave uh, two or three pretty good sewing machines behind uh, and, and, and a lot of resources. And the great prayer then and the great need is for someone in the community to take uh, the project on and in this particular church it didn't because as I explained before the church was in rather a, a poor and, and, and immature state not one of them was a leader not a leader in, in the church sense and not a leader in the sewing sense either. But there was a leader, I understand, somewhere leader. in yes, that community. There was. Somebody who only came to the fringes of the sewing club was a, was a lady and uh, she doesn't move out of her house much. She's, she's rather housebound. She's been housebound for about uh, six or seven years and uh, she's close to God. She reads her Bible a lot and she's a tremendous prayer. And she knew how to use a sewing machine. Somebody in her family had had one before. She asked if she could, she could have one on loan from the club. And we felt that was probably a positive thing for her to do because um, she's sitting most of the day. Um, the proof of the pudding was uh, about a couple of months later when I was invited back to see what she had made. And I think I burst into tears when I saw in her tiny little room that she spends all day in, the bed was absolutely covered in wonderful things she had made, children's dresses, um, children's shorts. Uh, there were the, the cupboard in the room had coat hangers on it. There were dresses hanging on it. And then last of all, she pushed out her hands and there was a magnificent pair of oven gloves. And she said, what I really want to make are oven gloves and sheets and, pillow and pillowcases. Things that could really sell and be a nice little sideline for exactly, her. Exactly, exactly. And the sales were important for the church because, as I said, the church was a tiny little room and the windows were open, there was no glass, um, which is how windows in most houses are, um, just have shutters. And, of course, that was making the church very dirty. So Isabel, the powerhouse that she was, sewed her way into um, all sorts of producing things. 
and they were sold and they made the 10% that every church would contribute to the Mission Paraguay money, which would pay for windows, a new door, and then eventually for a rather superior set of toilets made out of the bottom of a water tank. See, so Okay, so she gave the money she made to she the church? Did, yes. Mission Paraguay funds raised in England and Ireland went to pay for the 90% that was needed to make up the total cost. So many things coming together, really. The volunteers and their contribution, Mission Paraguay and its offer of funds to help the church uh, improve the physical building, and then the sewing. Um, but there is yet one more ingredient, and that is the spiritual growth of the church and the progress of the church. A new pastor came to take over the three churches, and he had Mirador very much on his heart. And he could see that Isabel was deeply spiritual, and he decided that he would take every Friday afternoon and go and pray with her for the church and for her and for the families in the neighbourhood. I think the Bishop of Paraguay then uh, brought along an American evangelist who did a tour of all the churches and spoke very powerfully about the relationship between the cross and Jesus' power and signs and wonders for the needy. This gripped the community, but it also gripped the church. And I was told quite soon afterwards that uh, Isabel and seven other people from the church had got together not just to pray but to fast for growth in their community, for church growth in their community. Uh, that is indeed what happened. At the last count, there were people sitting outside the door, the, the church was bursting with, with the good news but also with confidence because they could see that God had seen them. Their testimony is that God saw me and he provided for me. I have no doubt, actually, that those families and, and that church will go on and, and do great things because they've taken off on their own through God's provision. Wasn't that a great story? As I was listening, I was reflecting again on how God so often uses small catalysts, what St Paul calls the weak and foolish things, to energise his church and inspire them to a new vision and purpose under the direction of his spirit. Let's pray for that little church in Mirador in Paraguay, for its pastor and for their work in their community. And let's pray too for Caroline as she settles back into the UK, that she'll quickly feel at home where she's living and that she'll discern God's plan for the future. The first trip that the Reverend Canon Philip Mount Stephen undertook as CMS community leader was to East Africa. On his return, he spoke with Jeremy Woodham about what he'd been doing. One of the, the reasons I was there was to visit our interchange partners, CMS Africa, and to see how they go about their business. To spend time with Dennis Tongoy, who leads CMS Africa, and uh, really, I suppose, to be honest with you as well, I think just to get my head around the working relationship between CMS Africa and CMS in the UK. And I think one of the misconceptions that Dennis and I were very keen to, to, to address is any sense that CMS in the UK has kind of given up on Africa. It's not at all about saying we're going to divide the world into different territories or anything kind of rather imperialist like that. It's actually about saying mission is now from everywhere to everywhere. The church in Africa needs to be engaged in, in global mission and decisions about mission in Africa need to be taken in Africa rather than outside Africa. Then I think in the future we can have a really creative relationship as we in the UK receive people from Africa as well as sending people. 
can you explain a bit about the working relationship how you see how you and Dennis see that panning out maybe at the moment it's it is an, it is a relationship in which we're making a financial investment uh, but I long for us to get to the point in which this is a, a, a partnership of, of equals not least because I'm just very conscious of how the church in the UK and in Europe needs to needs to have access to the what you might call the mission capital of the church in Africa I think one of the challenges down the road for us in CMS in the UK is to reposition ourselves, reorientate ourselves from being a simply a sending agency to being a sending and receiving agency so that we can be a, a safe conduit for people from other parts of the world to be received into the church in the UK and and placed in, 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 in mission using our own historic experience in in transcultural mission and in placing people in, in new contexts to make that, that, that easy for them. There's some clues in there about an, an answer maybe to the sceptics who say, well, sending mission partners mm -hmm. overseas is uh, anachronistic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just out of date. And yes. why, do we, why do we do that kind of thing? I think, it, I think it would be out of date if it was simply one-way traffic. And I think it, 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 it mustn't be. I think we do need to recognize that in many, many ways that the church in Africa has come of age and needs to be seen uh, in, in that light. So I don't think we're at all in the business of perpetuating models that belong in a, uh, in a colonial past that, that, that see, sees the church in Africa as being a weaker partner that needs our help. In many ways, the, the truth is rather the other way around. But I do think one of the... Um, the sort of the key dynamics of the Church of God is that we should always be committed to uh, to crossing cultures, uh, to going to places in which, in many ways, we we are aliens. Both because that is what the Church of God has always done. That's because that's the mandate of Jesus in in Acts one to be witnesses in Judea and Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to, and, and to the ends of the earth, but also because that is exactly what God does. God is in, in, in Jesus Christ, in the incarnation. He crosses every cultural barrier, as it were, between the, the Godhead and, the, and an outhouse in, in Bethlehem. And if that, is, if that is the business that he's in, then God's church globally needs to be in the same business. And what really concerns me is not sending people into different cultural contexts, but Christians who cannot see outside their own cultural context and cannot envisage stepping outside that cultural context for the sake of the gospel. And that, that I think, is the, if you like, is the scandal, not, not the fact that people still go to other, other contexts and other cultures and other countries. Philip Mount Stephen in conversation with Jeremy Woodham about the relationship between CMS and CMS Africa and broader issues about the role of mission work in the 21st century. Let's continue to pray for Philip and the other directors of CMS as they seek to discern and discuss God's vision for the future. Of course, we should also pray for Dennis Tongoy and his fellow directors in CMS Africa that they too will know God's inspiration and guidance. You may remember that last month we were talking about the TV programme called The Midwife and the way that one of the storylines had drawn attention to CMS. 
Richard Corrie at BBC Radio Cumbria was one of those who wanted to know more about CMS today. So he made contact with Gary Iron, who comes from that part of the UK and is a CMS mission partner in Uganda. Richard spoke to Gary by telephone on Richard's Sunday morning programme and he asked Gary how it was that he'd ended up in East Africa. I graduated in construction engineering uh, and before that I was a builder. Uh, I served my apprenticeship in Penrith and, uh, and so with those skills I came out here initially to build a hospital uh, with tier funds and uh, I, I saw the local, local people, particularly the, the, the young men sitting under the mango trees, not doing much. Um, I mean, they'd just come out of a civil war. And, and so I, I just felt I could help them. And, and we set up vocational training. And so together with the local community, we, we built the hospital. Uh, and, and it really just snowballed from then. And, and so from there on, I've been able to use, use my skills with local communities uh, in and around Uganda, uh, East Africa, and even up into South Sudan, working alongside them, helping to build schools, uh, hospitals, and that kind of thing, but very much from a, a local perspective. And we get funds in from the UK, from the West, um, but trying to see how we can then use those funds and then integrate that with local materials and then the local manpower. Uh, and so that's what really I'm about these days, um, based here in Kampala in the city. How, how lucky do you feel, Gary, I mean, being able to get the skills you got here in the West and to take them out to somewhere uh, like Kampala in Uganda where, where things are so different and people are so poor? Yeah, oh, I, I mean, incredible. Again, I didn't really envisage all this, certainly when I left school uh, from Penrith at the age of 16. I was going into industry... Um, and, uh, and probably be a builder for the rest of my life. But I had the opportunity, um, though I left school at the age of 16, I hardly had an O-level to my name, um, I was able to go into an apprenticeship, get those skills, then on to university uh, and get a degree. And, and, that, uh, and it was so important. And yet I work alongside people here who have never had an education. Um, and so just to come alongside them, really, and, and, and be able to um, offload some of my skills onto them. And I, I learned so much back from them. It's a two-way thing, for sure. I mean, I, I, what, I, what I say is that, yeah, physically people are so poor here. But spiritually, I mean, um, there's much more vibrancy here, if that's the right word. And, and so I, I get so much more back on that side. And the importance of the work that CMS does in places like Uganda. Oh, I mean, the history behind that. Um, I mean, CMS have been here for over 150 years ago, and time has changed for sure in that time. And so in those days, of course it was during the colonial times, uh, they came in and um, they helped to set up. Traditionally, the, the, the missionary model was the, the, the church, of course, planting the church, but on the physical side, um, building the school and the hospital. The people needed an education. They needed health care. And so CMS had been doing that down the years from then on. And so in 2013, although it's a different world, um, sadly, the poor still exist, and, and often on the physical side. And so that's why I'm here um, with my building skills, and there are other missionaries around with 
with other skills, practical skills too, working alongside the local church. Um, then it was CMS Church. Now, of course, it's the local church, and so CMS handed over, and CMS part of the Anglican Church have handed over to a local Anglican church. And so I actually work under the authority of a local church, um, the bishop. And so CMS are the sending organization, um, but I actually work on behalf of the local church. And does Kampala feature in the future for you? <laughs> well, as I say, I told my parents I, I, I'd come out for 18 months in 1995. Here I am in 2013. Yeah, I, I, I just pray that this is where God wants me right now, and who knows for the future. I come home um, in August, and I come home every three years uh, to go around my churches back in Cumbria. Uh, they've stood by me over the last um, 18 years. They've been praying for me and um, financially supporting me. So I'm coming back in August for six months to go around them. Uh, but hopefully after that, perhaps in February next year, I'll be back again for another three years. Certainly the need is still here, sadly, in, in many respects. But um, I, I just feel part of the community here. I feel a bit displaced when I'm back in the Cumbria, I must admit, these days. <laughs> Gary Iron, CMS mission partner in Uganda, explaining to Richard Corrie of BBC Radio Cumbria something of his role as a construction engineer in East Africa and the way that CMS and other mission organisations have moved into a partnership role with local churches. Our thanks to Richard Corrie and BBC Radio Cumbria for their willingness to allow CMS to use that recording. Let's pray for Gary, giving thanks for the skills he has, for the way that he's able to support churches across East Africa, and for his certainty that he's where God wants him to be. Now Hannah Caro, CMS's events and legacy fundraiser, is here with this month's reflection on what we've heard. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus used a phrase which has not since been without controversy. Blessed are the poor, sometimes translated, blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus teaches us that poverty and poverty of spirit is often accompanied by great spiritual wealth. Any comparatory glance at global per capita income figures will show that many of the countries with least material wealth per person are in Africa. Yet two of our three interviewees here speak of the great spiritual riches of the African church. Gary Iron, at working community with local people on building projects in East Africa, speaks of the extraordinary spiritual vibrancy he encounters there. And we hear in the interview with Philip Mount Stephen that the African church has in many ways come of age and become a rich pool for sending missionaries to spiritually needy Europe and elsewhere. But the story I hope I will always remember of the three we have just heard is that of Isabel from a small neglected church in Paraguay working away housebound and in a single room at an inherited sewing machine to raise wealth for reinforcing her church building. What spiritual wealth in the context of extreme material poverty 
is evidenced by her hard work and prayerfulness. And how wonderful were the fruits that grew from her and others' faithfulness. Caroline Gilmore White describes how the community there was moved by an evangelist preaching on Jesus' power and signs and wonders for the needy. How I wish I could have seen our Saviour's face as he bid the children, the tired and the weary, all with nothing in their hands, to come unto him. Perhaps his eyes, as he looks on Isabel, are not so different. Blessed are the poor. Lord, you call us to be poor in spirit and, let us not shy away from it, in possessions also, that we may see the richness of your glory. May we not forget. That reflection by Hannah Caro brings this month's CMS Audio Mission Prayer Focus to a close. I'm Mike Stranks and I'll be with you again in June with more prayer topics from CMS partners and associates.